The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Lieutenant Jessica Schaefer. She is the first ever commander for the U.S. Coast Guard Station Cape Disappointment. She's only one of 14 women to become a surfman in the Coast Guard. I don't know if you know anything about it. I mean, all you have to do is Google it and Google Cape Disappointment and the Coast Guard training, and it's harrowing for anyone. I actually was introduced to Jessica through my husband, which can tell you something because Cape Disappointment is one of the most rigorous environments that there is. And for her to be a commander of that group and in that environment, takes a lot of strength. But what I loved about this conversation is she's not overly experienced being interviewed. So her vulnerability and humility are so transparent. She shares that when she was younger, she didn't really have a clear path, but that when she found it, she really went for it. And so for me, what's so inspiring is a lot of times we don't know what we should be doing or what we want to be doing, but that that isn't the point. We just have to keep trying. And she also talks a lot about having the moments of doubt and all the things that one goes through when they're the leader. And so it's not about somebody who's like, I always know what to do. I always know what to say. I never question my decisions. It's somebody who says, I do that all the time while having to be in charge. And I really enjoyed this very quiet conversation because if you pay attention to someone like this, there's just so much to learn. Enjoy. Okay, Lieutenant Jessica Schaefer, welcome to my home. Thank you. I know that you are actually a surprise to be here. Laird kind of muscled you over my way because he knew intuitively that I would really love to talk to you. So before we get started, because you are the commanding officer stationed at Cape Disappointment and work with and for the Coast Guard, you have to say that That none of your- My views or opinions expressed in the interview are that of the Coast Guard. So, and thank you for for bringing that up. That always makes my life easier. Oh yeah, no, we got to do that. But, But see, okay, so let's Let's start in the how you arrived at being the first female uh, commanding officer at Cape Disappointment, which for people who don't know, I mean, it's got to be one of, if not the most rigorous places to train drivers. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into this, uh, you know, because we used to, you know, living with Laird, it's like I've looked at, he's like, look at these guys at the Coast Guard at Cape <laughs> Disappointment. I mean, 30 foot waves, 50 mm-hmm. foot, uh, I mean, 50 mile an hour winds. I mean, it's insane. You grew up in Indiana. Yes, in the Midwest with no ocean. And you have only brothers though, is that right? All girls, no. Oh no, that was it. Okay, so all All girls. girls. All right, so talk to me about how a girl from Indiana ends up um, having the experiences that you've had. So, um, wow, that might take this whole time. That's okay. uh, 
Um, no. So, you know, growing up my, you know, Midwestern Indiana, exactly like you, exactly like everybody would think Americana, yeah. um, just, you know, the, the varsity Did football you- guys dating the head cheerleader type situation scenario. And then we're surrounded by farmland. We spent a lot of time on the lake. Um, my family was big uh, slalom skiers and, you know, waking up early in the morning. And it's funny looking back the, uh, the retrospect you have as you get older about all these little things and details that you experienced growing up mm. that become core parts of your life, but they seem so innocuous at the time. You know, they just seem very like, so I had severe ear trouble as a kid and um, I couldn't really ski because I couldn't get my ears wet. So I always drove the boats. So I always drove the boat and, you know, my sister was the awesome skier. My mom was an amazing skier. Uh, She would do, you know, the whole layout thing and it was just great. Um, But we grew up really simple. Um, We had two trailers, one trailer to start and two trailers on a river that led into a lake. And that was one of my favorite places to go as a kid. And so I, I look back on that and I think about how crucial that was for us to just make so much with so little, to be frank. Yeah. Um, as we grew up, my parents, uh, you know, they've become very successful. They did a really good job and they were just never satisfied with both all of my parents. I have four, I would consider I have four. Okay. You know, my parents were divorced and, you know, remarried and things like that since I was seven. So I've always had a big family. So when I say all girls, I have two stepsisters that are 10 years older. I have my one sister that I actually grew up with. She's four years older. And then my little sister is 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, (laughs) So Surprise. she's 19. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, she's, uh, she's living her best life at 19 in the middle of COVID trying to figure out the world. So, oh, gosh. and it's yeah. even funnier because my husband's oldest son is also that age. So it's kind of funny watching them go through the world together. Um, but so I, you know, I graduated college, I went to Purdue and again, we were talking kind of briefly before about always say yes. Mm. So I played soccer at the time. I actually started out playing volleyball, um, really loved that sport, it's probably my best sport. I have a really funny story about when my husband found out I could play. And he's like, when did you, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I made an immature decision in high school. I got in an argument with my coach and- Oh, come on. I seriously- You got booted off the team? I did. What kind of fight did you get into? One of those ones Wait, where- off the volleyball team? Yeah. Oh, I like you even more now. Yeah. You must have said, you must have said something. You didn't like, were you not in the mood for a drill or what was going on? Um. <laughs> I felt uh, that I wasn't rewarded for merit. Oh, you and wanted I, some credit? I did, a harsh lesson. So I got, mm. so I got rewarded. <laughs> but you got I, booted? I did. I didn't make, um, I didn't make the team. Um, you know, it was, I look back now again, it was my fault. I mean, I was, that was, I was mouthy. I was, you know, insubordinate and, and um, thought I was probably better than I was. And yeah, so I got booted for my That's volleyball That's a tough team. one. Yeah. So a little dose of humility, which again, will trickle through the rest of my life and career every time, you know, it's kind of hubris before the fall, but I'm really glad that I had opportunities to learn that kind of humility Mm -hmm. early um, because I've seen people learn it late and not be able to recover from it. Yeah. It saves you some headache if you can learn that one early. Yes. Or see it coming and check yourself before yeah. you actually fall off the ledge. Yeah, because I do think life gives you whispers like, mm-hmm. hey, are you sure? Yeah, And like, then you're like, oh, I'm doubling down on this bad behavior yes. or I'm going to pull back. Yes. But then in, a, in an amazing thing, I ended up on the soccer team and I've, I've had a, an ability to just kind of pick things up pretty fast, never mm-hmm. really mastered anything, but just 
pick things up. Not ping pong. I see ping pong over there, but it's COVID. Oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, I learned how to drive a stick by watching somebody drive a stick, you know? So I'm like, sure, why not? I'll play soccer. So I, I ended up at Purdue University my freshman year and I wanted to walk on the team mm-hmm. and I blew my knee out. So I had knee at, surgery. What do you mean? Trying to walk on? Yeah. Trying to walk on the team. Uh, no, before I was out doing my own drills, running my own mm. drills. And so I had surgery and missed a year competitive anything. And the next- Your so, freshman year of college, you mm-hmm. had a- blown out knee. Mm-hmm. So you're transitioning into college. Mm-hmm. You're not getting to play sports Mm-mm. and you're doing it with a knee. That's, yes. know, that's tough. Yeah. We're going to leave all the other bad decisions I made during that freshman year on the table. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but I think that's all important because I think it's important to see sometimes that people, and cause we all have to be reminded mm-hmm. that, you know, Laird always jokes about it's not where you start out, it's where you end up, exactly. right? And I think it's a lot of times, and if people have children, it can be a really uncomfortable process to watch your kids make certain Stumble. choices. Mm-hmm. But it's like weirdly thinking, okay, I'm going to have the faith that I believe in them and they're going to pull it out. So what? So did you stay at Purdue the whole- So I did. So okay. I, I stayed and, and I realized- and that's the other thing, again, lessons you learn. I watched, because I still hung out with the team and I still tried to be a part of that circle, mm. but I watched that circle move away from me. And again, those life lessons that you learn to watch other things develop without you and, and learn to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And then say, all right, I, I've got to find my own path. I got to find my own something to do. And um, I was literally walking through campus and there was a big crew boat. And and that was really the formative, that team and and being a part of that team for the next three years is really what's going to propel me through the next 20, mm-hmm. in my opinion, if you, you know, you did ask me. So, you yeah. know, that would be my opinion. And um, it was a club sport, but because crew is so small in the country, yeah. um, your club teams compete with your D1 teams. And so for the next three years, I spent my time waking up at five in the morning, doing two a days with people who voluntarily we're putting themselves through this torture. Right. They weren't on scholarship or anything nope, like that. No scholarship. We were raising our own money. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, we were funding our own races. We were buying our own uniforms. We were rigging our own boats. We were packing our own boats. We were, you know, traveling. Um, we were just, it was a group. And these were engineering students. I was a liberal arts student. I'm not trying to downplay that, but yeah, these were, you know, Purdue was an engineering school and these were engineering students that were doing this. And we were all working too. Why do you think they were doing it? I mean, what do you think some drive. of the reasons? Just drive, drive to be a part of something, drive to be, it was being around a bunch of people that had like that like-minded drive and motivation. Mm-hmm. And so again, I'm not sure how much I appreciated that at times. And I made my mistakes um, on that yeah. team as well. I remember I missed the bus for a race once. And so I drove my drove myself all the way down to Tennessee and my best friend at the time just dressed me down in front of the whole team and you know, that was, again, that, hum- you know, hubris before the fall, like, oh my gosh, I just let everyone down Yeah, and I'm too old to be doing this, you know? And so that was where I learned true humility. When your best friend is your teammate, she's my coxswain, she's looking at me every day and you let that person down mm-hmm. and then you get publicly chastised for letting that person down. Yeah, I mean, that was impactful. Yeah. Well, that, that you know, people do it one of two ways, right? They either crumble Mm-hmm. And quit, or they go. All right, I better, uh, I better raise my game a little bit. Exactly, and so knowing how much they depended on me, and knowing how much I, they, you know, that was actually it's two things. One, you realize how significant you are to another person, which is flattering. Yeah. 
too, you realized how much you let somebody down, which is devastating. Mm. And so you got to pick which one you're going to reinforce. You know, are you going to continue to let them down? Or are you going to respect and appreciate and continue to like be there and be that person that they're expecting you to be? Yeah. And that and, they love you for. And that's the thing that, the, but those are the things that we're in charge of, right? <clears throat> Your friend's not saying, hey, I want you to show up and be the fastest or be perfect or, you know, whatever. It's just, I need you to be on time, you know. And uh, the hardest worker. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, Ryan Holiday talks a lot about the things that we can be in control of. And, he, you know, it's like, hey, I know I can show up and work hard. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. I know I can be on time. I don't even, you know, he even says like, it's not about saying, well, my teammates are going to love me. Well, we don't know that. Right. You know, but the things I'm in charge of. So um, first of all, had you done any rowing before that? Not at all. So for anyone listening, I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. I actually have. It's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very technical. Um, it's very physically demanding. Absolutely. Um, and most of the people who do it are actually quite tall. Exactly. So I mean, it's how tall are you? That. I'm only five six. That's so. what I mean. So you, I have another friend though who was on the Olympic, Erin Kafaro, and mm-hmm. she's really a badass. And she's not. She's maybe I don't know five nine, and like all her teammates are six two. Yeah, but she can stretch her stroke out. Yeah. Yeah. So she knows how to stretch her stroke out. So that's what I had to do as well. So it's funny. Yes. My teammates much more resembled you, Um, which um, again was always awesome. We'd go to races and at the end for anybody who does row crew, you exchange shirts and I would always be hugging these girls and their chest would be like in my face. Yeah. They're massive. Yeah. You know, Amazonian, like massive, amazing athletic women. Yeah. Um, And I'm definitely not built for crew. But like I said, I just stretch my stroke out. Yeah. Um, And that's really all it's about. And I just found, I just found crew fascinating. Just the slightest, everybody has to be in sync. Everybody Mm. has to be in time. No one can have a bad day. Or if you are having a bad day, everyone has a bad day. And it's so metaphorical for everything I do now. That's why it's so fast. You know, everything happens for a reason. You end up in all these places. You don't really know what that reason is. And I mean, I look back 20 years ago and I think, well, that reason was is because especially in my job now, we're so dependent on our teams yeah. and our people. And if you don't know how to all pull together and, and over, you know, some days you have to compensate somebody's not feeling as well, or right. you just have to learn how to overcome everything that's thrown at you. Right. Um, so a team sport like that, it was the hardest sport I'd ever played today and probably still. Um, oh, it's brutal. Oh, it's year round. I actually think there was a quote in one of the newspapers on the Purdue campus that said the hardest working athletes were the crew. And I was, I thought that was really flattering because we felt that way. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, fast forward, graduate college. And, and to be honest, I, I didn't have a plan. Um, I accidentally, no, I accidentally graduated in four years. Um, I was an anthropology student, uh, which seems. Yeah, it's fascinating. It was awesome. Um, And I think it helps me every day. I was a cultural anthropologist. I did archaeology. But I took all these field studies. You know, we were talking again about saying yes. Well, I had all these opportunities to go to Europe. Um, I actually worked in an art gallery in London for a summer, randomly, um, doing an archaeology site underneath that art gallery. And I went to um, central Mexico and did a Mayan excavation during one of my winter breaks. But all these extra credits had built up. Yeah. And so here I am four years and just graduated. Do you think by nature, um, I was just actually talking with Rich Devaney who wrote a book about the differentiation between attributes and skills. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, you know, you have certain skills that you've developed over time. 
What do you think some of your natural attributes, do you think you're naturally like a self-disciplined person? Do you, uh, were you, I don't want to say rigid, because in a way, if I look at you now, I would say, okay, there's structure and there's protocol and there's all sort of all these things. Mm -hmm. Was this something that was, that came to you naturally or do you think this was through this process you learned how to be this way? I think through the process I learned how to be this way because, and I, I kind of get that validated because I feel that genuinely, and I tell the guys I work with um, sometimes that I don't think that the people I grew up with see me in the responsible <laughs> position I'm in right now right. because those people that I've kept in touch with, that you know, my best friend saw my, you know, my failure of not showing up for the race and you know, and, and so they see me for me. They don't, they see me as the fun, um, spontaneous, um, person. Mm -hmm. And then at work, I'm, I'm kind of the protocol rule abider, but I think there's a reason for it. And for me, that's a safety thing. Um, I want everybody to be safe. I want everybody to be healthy Yeah. and, um, I need them to be safe and healthy so that they can help save people. And so to do that, it requires that, you know, that protocol. But just like this morning, you know, with a husband, it's like, Hey, let's go for a hike. Let's, you know, let's, experience these things. Let's go mm -hmm. out and smell things and feel things and do things. And, and I need those little breaks from protocol yeah. to be able to maintain protocol. You know, I don't necessarily need to break rules or do anything oh. crazy, but I just need to, I need to. Well, and have the, the opportunity to, to, I think you, well, you said it perfectly too, like living without, you know, checklists and have mm -hmm. we done this all correctly? And maybe actually the one provides your ability to do the other Correct. At, yeah. to the greater level. So how do you, you go to Europe, you're graduated. Mm -hmm. How do you find yourself saying, oh, I know I'm going to go into the Coast Guard? So, you know, at that point, I, I was just a little bit afloat. I was, I was definitely, I knew I never wanted to be dependent on anyone. That was what, probably the biggest thing. I wanted to have my, my own everything. I mean, the military offers health insurance, mm -hmm. you know, rent. Um, I wanted to be a wholly independent person. And I felt that if I stayed home, people were going to resent me for kind of not being an independent person. You know, I was living with my sister. Mm. She had got me a job because I didn't have the foresight or the planning to get my own job. And so I started to feel like people were going to start to resent me if I didn't find my own path, if I didn't find my own way in the world. Yeah. And um, one of my friends had a saying on her wall, and I'm sure it's by somebody famous, but it just said, in order to be yourself, you have to get somewhere where you can be no one else. So I knew I wasn't going to necessarily be myself, ironically. At home. At home. No way. None of us are. What do they say? The home saint is is doing no miracles, right? right? It's right. like, you know. And so I needed to, A, I needed my independence, and B, I needed to go somewhere where I, I had no other choice but to be myself. And that is probably the scariest thing. And, and my husband and I talk about this a lot as far as I am, I'm a proponent that people should learn to be comfortable being alone. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true or not, or if they should, but I know that that's something I needed to go through. And it wasn't pretty at times. It was just, you know, to be truly alone, not have family around. Yeah. You know, I had a few surgeries where I was, you know, there was no one there to take care of me afterwards. And you're just kind of on your own. And I don't really want anybody to go through that. But the things I learned going through that, the self-sufficiency of that yeah. also like taught me that lesson that I don't want anybody else to do that. You know, so it, it drives me to do different things than had I not had that experience on my own. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of that catch 22. You don't want anybody to be like that. However, you wish they had that experience so yeah. they could understand some things and appreciate some things. 
So I just try to provide opportunities like that for people I know. Right. And as a leadership role, I mean, that's kind of some of the people I worked with provided me those opportunities. They let you fail, not enough to where you can't recover, right. but where you have to recover so that you learn that resiliency through that adversity. So what about the Coast Guard called you? So genuinely at that point, I... I, I mean, you said like, okay, the, the, the perks, I could take care of myself, yep. the insurance... I mean, but this is a, talk to me a little bit about the commitment of going into the Coast Guard. What does that look like? Because we all know like, okay, if you go sure. in the military, it looks like this. What does it look like when you go into the Coast Guard? So, you know, there's tons of options. Um, I remember I signed up to get a guaranteed position in Alaska. Um, and my whole theory was I had been to Europe. I, you know, my sister lived in Austria. I lived in London. I had been to Mexico. I had worked in Mexico. I had had some really crazy experiences for a 22 year old to date from the Midwest. Right. Um, so I was really looking for, and I knew I wouldn't be happy at a desk. I knew I just wouldn't be mm. happy unless I was outside doing something and, and being involved in physical things. And so I looked at all the branches of the military and the Coast Guard was the only one that didn't have any restrictions on gender. So there was no right. job I couldn't have at the time that I knew about. There might've been some obscure position somewhere or um, something like that. But at the time there was no job in that service that I couldn't have. And then the other thing was, is I'd never really seen West of the Mississippi, which is even more hilarious because now I've seen it all, I think. But yeah. I had gone to a, a crew race in San Diego or, you know, races, but you usually go there. You row yeah. really hard and, and you're you out fly of back, you know? Yeah. So... It was an opportunity opportunity for me to kind of accomplish two goals. One, be completely self, you know, self-sufficient, independent without, I mean, because you sign the dotted line and your benefits start at that moment. Mm -hmm. It's it's really, truly a great thing that they do for service members. Um, and then two, I could see the rest of the United States, which I, I've seen it I've, very successfully. Every time yeah. I transfer, I transfer like three, two to 3,000 miles. So yeah. You know, even my my previous dog had been through 38 of the 50 states, so we're good. Um, but it really was that. And then I had a college degree, so I thought you can be an officer. Mm. Um, however, officer school, I wouldn't know that for another year. It's a whole application process. And again, I was thinking if I stay here, I just felt like I was a burden to people. I felt like people were going to get annoyed with me not having you know, a job or any direction. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to enlist. Um, and then my first unit was Cape Disappointment. And I saw an opportunity to do something. I mean, at the time, well, I'm... Well, tell me when you go, they take you out on oh, sure. the 47, it's a, what, about a 47 foot boat? Yep, absolutely. So you you get to Cape Disappointment and um, they, they specifically have you guys there because it is one of the most rigorous mm -hmm. environments to train in as well. Yes, sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. So tell me what, what goes on in your mind when you go out for one of the first times. So the very first time I pulled up, so I wasn't prepared for how dark it was. It's pretty north on the ladder, you know. Yeah, on the, short days. Yes, extremely mm -hmm. short days. And I reported in December. Oh. So I pulled in and I, you know, it's, it's funny because I remember driving in and, and it was dark. Yeah. And I woke up the next morning because when you first report, you stay on board the unit and I woke up the next morning and they took me out and, uh, you know, it's funny. I look back on this and it's like, was it a 40 foot wave? Was it a 20 foot wave? I, it looked like a hundred foot wave to me. Um, had you ever seen anything like no, that? 
I didn't even know things like that existed. Okay. I mean, I knew things like that existed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd no, seen but, what people do. You know, yeah. your husband has done that forever. And, you know, you see it, but it, until you see it, see it. So it was a really bad storm. It was, and I looked out and I saw the guys driving boats. And I, again, I probably should have some more inspirational thought to this, but I was like, so I can do that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, you can do that. And I'm like, no, I can, I can stay here and do that. Mm. And they're like, Sure. And I just thought, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't you do that? Now, there's no way you can see the size of these waves and it's cold Mm -hmm. and you're not afraid. Yes. Where do you put the fear? Or Um, do you put a pin in the fear because you're concentrating on what's happening? Like, where did you, where do you put that fear? I don't remember. And I, and I'm pretty sure I'm safe in saying this. I don't remember being scared. I think you only get scared when you start to know. I think ignorance Mm. is definitely bliss. Um, I definitely didn't start to get scared until I I started to understand more about what I was doing. Mm. And then you start to put pins in fear. And then for me, fear goes behind process. So I see something and then instead of being fearful of it or being upset about it or being mad about it or any of those things, I instantly go to process how to, how do I handle it? Your training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because that it's sometimes I feel like I come off very cold and very unaffectionate or very unfeeling or very... You mean in that moment? In that moment or even before and after or when I'm training somebody how to handle that moment because mm. I genuinely am just trying to instill like, hey, just you see this tragic situation before you. Well, there's a checklist for how we address those situations. And for me, I just go straight to that. And that's how I process. That's where my fear goes. It goes behind. Yeah everything I'm going to need to do in this moment to make this situation better, to fix it. My husband tells me I'm a fixer. Yeah. And that's why I say, I'm like, I can't be a leader because I'm a fixer, you know? Well, but that's leaders of service really ultimately. So how do you, how long is that training? Um, It took me, uh, and believe it or not, it was very quick. It took me about four, four and a half years to get my surfing pin. So um, it's called surfman. Yeah, surfman. Um, There's Now what's 390? Tell me, is this... So 390 is my surfman number. Mm -hmm. Um, So they started, it's kind of funny because serializing, that sounds very impersonal, but surfman is, I believe, the only people in the Coast Guard that get a number. Pretty sure that's still valid. Mm -hmm. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. But And then there is a date that they started that from. And everybody prior to that date is basically the surfman pins. You get a check and that date, you know, so pin 99 is every surfman in 1960 Got and it. so on and so forth. Right. But in the modern day Coast Guard, um, getting to that first unit, the first woman who had earned that, mm-hmm. that honor, um, Beth Slade, her husband was my boss. And again, the weird things that happen in the world, you know, I just happened to work for that guy. The You know, definitely the one person who was never going to have any and he was married to a woman who was doing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember him saying, you know, on the first day, I was like, I would really like to do this. And and some people have told me that maybe that's not something that will happen for me. And he's like, no, he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to do this. And he's like, you can do this. And I remember him just sliding across the paper. And, and so my first call the day I got my surfing pin was actually to Beth and Scott, you know, and I asked her, I was like, hey, would you mind if I you know, share this experience with you. Yeah. And um, she's like, absolutely not. So, and we, to this date, I mean, you know, she's my, one of my first calls whenever I have anything going on. So 
So the training's four and a half years. It can be up to seven. What does that mean? So it's <laughs> if you're all a weather. slow learner, yeah, or so how many? it's all weather dependent. So do you have to sort of be uh, see enough action, if you will? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all apprentice. There's no jobs. There's a very brief kind of checklist of items that you should demonstrate proficiency in. Right. However, it's all dependent on mother nature. So you'll have winters where we won't have conditions. Yeah, tell me about it. I live with somebody <laughs> like that. Like is, sure. this year is a La Nina and I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, I wish we drank alcohol in our house. Yeah. Um, I'm it's kidding. A, it's a La Nina and COVID. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's a double whammy. I'm well aware. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you get through four and a half years and during this process, you're going out and mm-hmm. you get to see action, but maybe you have somebody who's basically with you. Mm-hmm. All the time. Who's uh, mm-hmm. like, I, want, I won't say a superior, but. Uh, yeah. And they are. More actually, experienced yeah. just in mm-hmm. case. Um, they're certified. They, they are allowed to drive in those conditions right. and you apprentice and it's not just one person. I think I broke in, we call it breaking in. Yeah. I think I broke in under probably 20, 20 to 26 people, Yeah, 26 different boat drivers. And again, there's no real right or wrong for all of this. There's definitely some wrong. Yeah. Um, but there's different not a, ways of right. Yes. Right. A thousand different ways of right. Right. And so it can be really frustrating for people to learn how to do this because you go out with this person and he has this suggestion and then you go out and try to implement that suggestion the next time you go. And that person's like, I don't know why you would do it this way. You should do it this way. Mm. And so it can be really frustrating. But again, going back to that, just being able to take it all in and and just accept all the information that's coming in. And then eventually you figure it out and you kind of mold all that together and you're able to satisfy everybody and they say you're good enough to go on your own. I don't know about you, but the idea of receiving food to my house that's delicious, that's good for me, is the ultimate luxury. And so, you know, maybe you're tired of your own cooking or you're just trying to do something new and different. And there's a lot of us, too, that are trying to eat more plant-based. Well, we have something for you, Sakara. Sakara is a wellness company, but they are rooted in the transformative power of plant-based food. They're organic, ready-to-eat meals, and they're made with powerful plant-rich ingredients. And they're designed to boost your energy. It improves your digestion. They even said like, hey, listen, you're going to be feeling so good and looking so good. Your skin might be glowing. And really important, their menu is made of creative chef-crafted breakfast, lunches, and dinners. It changes weekly so you won't get tired of it or bored. And it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. And along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials for optimal nutrition. Sakara's supplemental packs called the Foundation and their metabolism super powder delivers support for gut health, energy, immunity, and back to it, healthy skin. It's kind of funny. Like we'll talk about it and it's like, this is really good for you. You'll sleep better. Your elimination is better. And if that doesn't work, listen, your skin's going to look good. And right now they've got an incredible offer for you. Sakara's offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Gabby Reese. That's S-A-K-A-R-A.com, Gabby Reese, G-A-B-B-Y-R-E-E-C-E. Or go ahead and just enter the code Gabby Reese at checkout. That's sakara.com slash Gabby Reese to get your 20% off your first order. Whenever any of us find something that's really good or works or can help, you know, someone else, we share it. And that's why I'm really excited to share something that I've learned about called Strike Club. Now, I only have three daughters. I don't have any sons. However, I learned about Strike Club. It was created by four moms, of course. And one of them was a pediatric dermatologist. And they realized between them, they've got 11 kids. 
The girls have tons of products. Things are catered to the girls. What about the boys? You know, they can barely be, you know, deal with a bar of soap. But what if they're trying to navigate their skin and, and trying to make sure that their skin is clear or if they have any breakouts? So they created Strike Club. So first off, of course, for moms, it's safe. It's formulated without parabens, sulfates, and the formulas are cruelty-free because safety, you know how moms are, they're non-negotiable. And it's been verified by the Environmental Working Group. It's effective. It's great if something looks good for the boys. You know, they're saying it's locker room worthy, so it's not fussy, it's easy to use, but it's effective. So the co-founder, like I said, is a dermatologist and she infused the product line with a unique ingredient that kills the bacteria that causes acne without all the dryness and irritation. See, that's the thing. When things dry your skin too much, it can actually work against you. And lastly, like we said, easy to use. These guys aren't going to bother with this stuff if it's too fussy and too many steps and too hard to use. So it's safe, it's effective, it's easy to use. And because it is catered for them, and at that age and that time when it is hard and sensitive, it's less embarrassing. So it's sold at Target stores and Target online, but they do have an offer for you today. And if you want to save 15% off your purchase, you can go to strikeclub.com. Remember the Y, S-T-R-Y-K-E-C-L-U-B.com. And right now, if you enter the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y at checkout, you'll get that 15% off your purchase. So again, you can find it at Target stores, Target online, or you can go to Strike Club, S-T-R-Y-K-E-C-L-U-B.com and go ahead and put in the code Gabby for your 15% off. About five months ago, I needed a new mattress and simultaneously Avocado Green Mattress approached me to advertise on the podcast. And I typically try to use anything that I talk about or at least vet it to the point where I know it brings you true, real value. So I started looking at the company and Avocado Green Mattress is, they hand make eco-luxury organic certified mattresses and bedding right in their California factory. But if you start to dig a little deeper, their business practices are exceptional. They are certified B Corp, which is very hard to do. That means they're climate neutral certified. They have a net zero carbon emissions all the way from their farms in India to their California factory by the time the mattress gets to your home. Net zero, that's very hard to do. They're members of the 1% for the planet. Uh, so I love this idea of getting this beautiful mattress. I personally got the latex mattress and they have a great offer for you today on the latex mattress. But if you think about it, the avocado mattress is better for you and it's better for the planet. So all of their materials are organic. The latex mattress I have, it's exclusively made with natural organic materials, so it's entirely biodegradable. All of their organic certified cotton and wool, organic certified latex, all of it is sustainably sourced from the farms that they co-own in India. My whole feeling is you don't have to sacrifice beautiful products and you can support businesses that are trying to do it the right way. So if you're in the need for a mattress, head to avocadogreenmattress.com. I love the name, avocadogreenmattress.com. And they will give you $200 off if you buy the avocado latex mattress using the code Gabby Reese, one word. It can't be combined with other offers. And the offer is valid through July 31st, 2021. That is avocado green mattress. They even have also killer pillows that I use because I like mine a little fuller. My husband likes his a little flatter and you can adjust it to whatever kind of size that you like. That's avocadogreenmattress.com. Tell me a little bit about 
maybe uh, you go out, the conditions are the biggest you've ever seen mm -hmm. thus far. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, I go to protocol, I go to my checklist. Are you asking advice from the, from, you know. When you're breaking in, absolutely. Right, but let's say you're deeper into your training. Or do they sort of stand back and say, well, let's see what how the, mm -hmm. you decide to do it? Yep, absolutely. So there's a comfort. And that is the one of the most, tricky parts, I think, of the job that we do now. So it's no longer my job to drive the boat. It's no longer right. my job to even teach anybody how to drive the boat. You know, in my position now, I it is a little bit of my job, but, you know, my position right now is to make sure that they have all the tools necessary so that if they see their biggest day, they can handle it. And how do you do, how do you do that? You mean that means in the instruction and in the mm -hmm. preparation? So you're saying I, your job is to be in charge of creating that environment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. To throw everything at them to get them prepared. Absolutely. And that takes a team effort. So I have five other people that are probably far better boat drivers than I am at this point because they're still actively doing it every day. And that is their job. The rhythm of it. Yes. They're in the rhythm of it, the actual physical timing of it. The, mm. you know, it'd be no different than just running a play on a volleyball court, which, right. you know, it's, it's like, if you haven't done it in a while, just that perfect, you know, low set to the hitter instead of high, you know what I mean? Just yeah. all those little details and- so I rely heavily on them because they're amazing. I've actually put a lot of thought into this in the last week. We've had some really big conditions and and um, this is probably, a, we graduate out of these fun jobs. I always say, you know, we, we graduate out of them. We always have to move on and go do something different. Yeah. This is my last winter that I'm assigned to Cape Disappointment. So little rosy colored sunglasses on mm -hmm. as I look at everything and I'm taking it all in. And I'm truly impressed with these the crew that I, I see them work, I see them train, I see them, you know, teaching, you mm -hmm. know, I watch them teaching people and, and I'm, it kind of stinks because I'm pretty useless now because they're saying everything I would say. So right. I just sit there and I'm like, I have no added value to this conversation. Like, that's a weird place to be after I so many I think that's years. interesting for a lot of people to hear that because I think um, whether you're a boss or a coach mm -hmm. um, or, you know, just you had an expertise and you were mentoring or teaching or coaching that then you do have to accept moving into a position where there will be other people who can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but see, the thing is, is it's if you can take everything and, and I want to move into some of that and then use that skill set um, I was reading something that um, somebody was talking about you. Oh, Tobias Olson was saying, yes. okay, so when you were in Florida, mm -hmm. Katrina dealing with Puerto Rico, he said that you had a very interesting combination of being able to deal with logistics and human beings. And he said, usually people have kind of one or the other, right? So maybe for you, you're comfortable because you, you're going to move into these other spaces, but I don't know. It, I, it's weird. Like, how does one sort of say, oh, I've done that. Um, it has been also even an identity. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. And when you when you mentor and coach and train people and watch them and help them develop their skill set, I think there's a you get a lot from that. Absolutely. You get a lot of purpose. Mm -hmm. Where do you redirect, you know, now you're saying, okay, it's your last year. Why, why do you think they keep moving it on just so things don't get stagnant and, and programs stay Absolutely. kind of... And I really enjoy it. I think there's many, many reasons why they do it. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I've, you know, it does stink sometimes because you do get comfortable. You do want to stay. You do want to do this. But every time I move, it's, I'm not, I don't regret it. Right. Um, I, it, you know, Tobias Olson, I would have not met him had I not, you know, gone to that space and and been present for those things. And 
And it's funny you brought up Katrina and things like that. That is the crazy world that we've lived in too. I was a boat driver on the West Coast and Hurricane Katrina hit and they said, hey, we need people to come down here. And, you know, you end up there. Or it's just amazing to me the opportunities that mm -hmm. you get in the service to do. I, I think I spend 99% of my time being uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. it's almost like being comfortable being uncomfortable because I'm always going to a new place or I'm always experiencing something different. And uh, Commander, he he was Commander Retired, yeah. um, Mr. Olson, you know, he, for whatever reason, after we had dealt with Hurricane Irma and spent our 11 days without AC or water mm -hmm. in South Florida, which is super fun yeah, um, and a little warm, you know, he asked me if I'd go over to Puerto Rico with him in a small group and try to help the best we could. And yeah. so... What is crazy for me is how those skills, those attributes, as, as your friend, you know, the friend earlier said, mm -hmm. how they translate across different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize I was learning as I was growing up and I was succeeding and failing, succeeding and failing, and learning how to basically pick yourself up back up again. And as I was, I think I might have also been picking other people up along with me. Mm. And so then you put some protocol on that and then you, you know, you become a fixer and you just, you have to incorporate the can do because everything is telling you, you can't, mm. you know, you can't be this, you can't do that. You can't fix this. You can't help here. And it's like, well, maybe not, but I'll still try. Right. And then something, just one positive thing happens along the way. And so I think that, um, I think I might've lost track a little bit cause I no, no, but, diverted, but. Well, okay. So wait, let's just go back. So after training, then you went, did you go to San Francisco? Is that when you went yeah, to so, Golden Gate? So I was at Cape Disappointment. Um, then I went to Golden Gate for seven years. What's more rigorous? Isn't Cape Disappointment a little more, like it's just talking about conditions more rigorous? Sure. I think, and that's funny because I think they both have different challenging conditions. Fair. I think, you know, you have people that are are the Oregon and Washington surfmen that, you know, that's the hardest, toughest surf in the history of the planet. Mm -hmm. But yet in San Francisco and then off Half Moon Bay was where I took my first 30, you know, 30 plus foot breaks in a row during a search and rescue mission. And, you know, it was actually on my mother's birthday. And I remember saying like, oh, it's a good thing we didn't die on my mom's birthday. She's going to be really mad at me, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, you know, you have those experiences and, and. I see that and I, I see the same challenges and same training opportunities down yeah. there. So I actually earned my pin in, in California. Got it. Um, I got my start cutting my teeth mm -hmm. um, up in Washington. The difference about California is pure population and pure cases. Right. So I crammed about a lifetime's worth of search and rescue into probably the first two years I was in San Francisco. Yeah, just that rep and all the calls. So all when, the calls. when you come home from a day like this with on your mom's birthday and it probably was one of those takes everything you have. Mm -hmm. Do you ever come home and and just sort of have a meltdown? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I was actually just explaining yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I was just explaining this to uh somebody um like just a good old fashioned cry, maybe. Yes, in my closet once or <laughs> twice or a couple of times. But um no, absolutely. Because putting emotion behind process, yeah. eventually that process is gone. Yeah. I think the hardest thing for me coming up in my community and, and in the service was finding good outlets for that, which is how I probably ended up running so much. And, yeah. you know, and, and I'm again, not, not the best runner, but I'll do it forever um, because that's where I, 
let it all out? Yeah, I just process it all. Yeah. Um, work it out. What am I really upset about? What am I not really upset about? Mm. Um, and I'd imagine decision-making too, right? Mm-hmm. Like to standing back a little bit when you have to make either tough calls yeah. or changes yeah. or what have you. And and that's that reflection piece. Mm. Um, and I can self-reflect into a downward spiral. Um, it's, it's probably, I, I was just doing a um, leadership conference and I said that that's definitely because somebody asked me, you know, what's mm-hmm. something you have to work on all the time? Because I will reflect every day, all day long on a decision that may have been bad. Oh, you still, like, even though it's even done? now. Uh, oh, yes. so the decision's done and you're still thinking about it? Yes, because oh. I'm constantly thinking, because what if this pre- decision presents itself again? Am what I gonna, will I do? Am I going to handle it the same way? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really trying to ingrain in my head, was that the best decision? Was Because we are in positions all the time where you have to make the best decision at the time with the information you have at hand. Right. And sometimes new information comes to light after you've made your decision. And so sometimes that reflection is, what didn't I see before? What didn't I know before? How can I know that next time? How can I be better next time? Hmm. And and then by always constantly thinking, how can you be better? You kind of never measure up. And then, you know, you just... Do you give, is there, because I agree with that though. I think being a good leader or a person who's in charge, I think you have to have that because you're being accountable Mm -hmm. for your actions and reactions and decisions that you're making. Does there ever come a point though, where you like give yourself a break and say, listen, I've looked at it. I have, I have really evaluated. I did the very best I could in that time. And I'm going to let that go now. So I've gotten better at that. I think that's a learned skill. Um, It wasn't something that I brought to the table. And I think now I have, you know, my husband is a sounding board. Perfect person for that. So not only did he have a similar career before he retired, right? which works out great for me in multiple ways, just because I don't have to explain so much. Um, right, it's a shorthand. It is. It's it's shorthand. And um, but he will be the first person that will remind me of that and tell me to move on. Mm. You know, and then he'll see me later sitting there and he'll be like, Are you still thinking about that? And I'll be like, No, you know, don't you don't know me. You know, <laughs> way. Um, and he'll kind of force me to move out of that space and into a new one. Yeah. And then there's other times where I am very excited and I don't know what that difference is. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's when there's so much gray area in life, and especially with people. Especially with people. There's yeah. so much gray area. And I don't think you ever know actually my Dad always says, you never know how good an employee was until after they left. And you never know how good a boss was until after they've left. And so I look now and I'm, I'm finishing up my tour here. I will never know, you know, time will tell. Yeah. I'll never know how impactful I was or wasn't, or if decisions, that's the, isn't that the. That's the point though. Isn't that the gripe or the, the I want to say bitch. I'm sorry. Can no, I say yeah. that? That's the bitch yeah. about decisions is you make them and then you normally find out whether or not they were good or bad. There's very few decisions that you get to make right? and have that, at least in my world, I feel like there's very few decisions you get to make and have that definitive yes or no. Well, you do have it when you guys were out on the water. Yes, absolutely. It's so clear. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of beautiful and stressful and glorious that it's like, no, we we took the right line because really ultimately if everybody comes back safe, yes, it was all good decisions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And even if you made all the best decisions, but it didn't work out, 
you can still... you'd, But also you'd say, oh, well, we could have made better decisions. Or what a great learning experience that was for yes. us, you know, and you turn that frown upside down. Yeah. And I'm really good about doing that um, with tangible things like search and rescue. Mm-hmm. With interpersonal relationships, whether professional or personal, I think I, I reflect a lot more on those um, yeah. as they come up. Do you hide it a little bit? So so then you get the opportunity to be the first female commanding officer, funny enough, at the first place you went to at Cape Disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know, you were you were saying like the boat and Mother Nature doesn't care what gender they you are. And mm-hmm. I, re- I really appreciate that. And it, and you, and you always got the sense that, you, that the Coast Guard never really, gender wasn't really a deal. It was like, okay, cap- who's the most capable for this role? So, it, and I will say that if it was, I don't know, there were... Over the span of my 18 year career, mm-hmm. there were a couple people that I felt were forward and outward about that. And it was for them. They ended up being kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things and yeah. obviously had some other issues they needed to work out. I was going to say, you always have some, There's you know, in some, every but, um, place. Yeah. And I think the only time, um, I it was never a thing for me. So I, it never was a thing generally. Um, right. So I think you, other people kind of wanted it to be sometimes. You mean like also in a good way? In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Like highlighted. Right? Yeah, of so, course. So there's a, there's a delicate balance when you're kind of put up on that mm. stage, like, oh, you're the first to do this or you're first yep. to do that. And I remember watching in that whole, there's an interview that I did a while ago for the Coast Guard actually. And mm-hmm. I stole and I felt so terrible about it. And then my sister's like, and this is that reflection. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't credit her. So the first female fighter pilot in the Navy I went to an event and I watched her speak Mm. and she nailed it. She said that her at one point, I don't remember the whole story. Yeah. um, And I'm pretty sure Captain Marvel is based on her or at least her growing up in the pilot. They used her as the template. Oh, wow. So she said that she was at a meeting, something had gone down and her commander, the person in charge of her said, well, this pilot, like referred to her as a pilot. And she said that was the first time I'd never been referred to as the first female fighter pilot. Mm. So I finally was no longer a victim, you know, a, a victim to my timing and gender, not a victim, but a, yeah. a champion for my timing and gender. I was just a champion for the fact that I was a really good pilot. Yeah. Qualified pilot. Right. And that really resonated with me only because I, I generally usually don't notice if I'm the only girl in the room unless... Somebody points it out, you know, they yeah, say, you I'm know, with you, you know, guys know. and girl. And then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I am. Um, and also that all my shipmates were all doing the same thing, you yeah. know, and we're all going through the same struggles and those struggles aren't gender specific. Gender specific. Yeah. There are no doubt obstacles for everybody. Um, you can categorize some into gender. You can categorize some into these, these very large swaths of things. But in general, when you break it down and there's just four of you on the boat, every person's got their struggles and every person's got their things going on Yeah, and nobody cares about it in the moment. So as long as you can all put that away, pull together, accomplish a goal and come back, um, that to me is where I like to live. Now being a boss, because in, in ways you have to be a boss and you have to make tough decisions. I'm always curious, um, I had a really incredible college coach, a woman, and mm-hmm. she, her capability of dropping off information was like amazing. There was nothing ever attached to it. Nothing. She was dropping off information. Did you have that skill naturally 
Because you have to probably say some uncomfortable things to people. Sure. How did you find your way of doing it? Because that's the whole thing too, is encouraging people that um, you have to do it in the style of the person that you are. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think that is, again, one of those attributes that developed over time. I don't, I don't think I brought that to the table. And one of the things that I try very much so is if emotion, if it doesn't have to be personal or emotional, I try not to let it be personal or emotional because I think everybody can go to that space so fast because mm -hmm. we're so invested in everything we do. I'm invested in what I'm doing. You know, you're invested in what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, you can just go to that space where if somebody gives you feedback, even if it's like technical feedback, like you did not do that one thing well, or you did not dot that I on that memo. Yeah. You know, somebody can take that to a personal space really fast. Yeah. And I just don't like doing that. So I just try to keep it very, um, not blunt, but yeah. again, and then I, I tend to, this is my own reflection. I tend to come off kind of not heartless, but just very unemotional sometimes. And it's like, no, I'm not unemotional. There's just no emotion in this, this, right. you know, this sentence should be this and it's not this. So it needs to be this, Yeah, you know, and just reminding people that it's not, it's just about technical competence sometimes and not personal. Right. I'm not attacking your character. Right. I just need you to do this better. Yes. But I think this is a really important point because I think sometimes that um, when people have to be in positions where they have to be bosses and mm -hmm. I, and then I'll add a layer as a female, it's like them learning how to separate that, um, how to drop it off, how, how not to be sort of not, I don't want to say concerned, but you have an interesting job because yours is also about safety, mm -hmm. the safety of your people and then the people you're trying to help. Yes, absolutely. So you can have that behind you to go like, I really have to get this across because it's actually for everyone's own safety. best interest. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just think it's really important though, that if people don't naturally have the learn skill, mm -hmm. how to, you know, be in that uncomfortable position, because it can be. Absolutely. You Always. know, it's, it's never fun. Like, Hey, listen, we got to work on this. Is that, um, is that they learn that it's something that, you know, you can learn and then to know your, to believe in the reasons w where you're coming from. And I think that started in, in a, in a military environment, at least for me in my mm -hmm. career, that has, that's how it's taught. You know, I think when I kind of lost my way a little bit earlier, what the point I was trying to make was, I think my drive has changed over the years because my positions change, but you know, you start off and it's about mastery of craft. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be the best boat driver. You want to master, you want to be the best technical person. You want to be the best boat driver, the best, yeah. whatever you're doing, you know, line splicing, something we do. You, you want to have the best technical skills. So you strive for mastery of that skill. And I don't mastery either here or there. So you either achieve it or you get close enough to it. And then you move into different realms of, you know, you start being in charge of more. You start having to teach. Now you're not just learning, now you're teaching. And so that natural evolution coming up for me is how it's like, hey, this, you know, because we have to tell people a lot, like, hey, you didn't do that well. And again, people are emotionally invested. They, you know, being a surfman is, is a dream for people and, oh. and things like that. And, and sometimes not even me, but, you know, even I could go out now and I guarantee you one of my chiefs would be like, oh, you didn't do that very well, you know? And you're like, but they're right. They're true, yeah. you know? And, and so, you know, so you start with that mastering competency. And I think that helps develop your confidence to have resolve in your decisions Yeah, because you're not basing them in a guess. You're not basing them in 
a, a supposition. You're, you're, you know, you're not presupposing anything. You're saying, no, this is, I know this, this is ingrained in my brain. I, I assume it'd be like, you know, if I fancy myself a lawyer, yeah, there's a law. I yeah. know this law very well. I know what the interpretation of law is supposed to be. And therefore this is my decision based on that interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so the longer you do a job, and I've been really fortunate enough to kind of stay in the same wheelhouse because you can bounce around to different areas within the organization. But for 18 years, I've been in this kind of wheelhouse. And so it's not that I think I'm always right because I'm so wrong some days. I wonder why I'm, but there is definitely, I, I have a base. You right. know, I default to the basics. I default to, and that's what I, I was just actually explaining that to somebody the other day. I'm yeah. like, I need you to default to the fundamentals. Yeah. You know, don't default to lazy. Don't default to, don't default to something I don't know, or don't default to that. Learn the fundamentals. So when you do have that lazy day or when you do have those off days, your default is to your basic structure. Right. And so in the military, at least for me, I had to learn that basic structure because if I didn't, I would fail. And so my default goes back to that. And so having kind of that basis in that has helped me be a little bit more resolved in some of the decisions. Yeah. But again, like I said, I'd I go home or I go for a run and I, yeah. I go through them all over again. Sometimes I'm like, yep, that was good. That was right. Okay, you're good. And then peer groups, yeah. you know, peer groups, having those people that you can call that you definitely don't agree with, yeah. that you respect so much that you can have that conversation with and say, what would you have done in this situation? And then I find calling people that would I know would have done something different that challenge me to explain why I did what I did. Yeah is the best, sometimes the best. Yeah, it's so uncomfortable too. <laughs> yeah, but, but I it's, mean, if I get confirmation bias every time, there is times where I No, but you don't want that because mm-mm. you'll be better at your job. And ultimately, right. if it is about that end goal and that safety, mm-hmm. you know, you're re- being accountable to that. So maybe just explain for people who don't know, like the boats are self-writing, is yes. this right? Yes, correct. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so when I hear that, it, does that mean that they can l- literally go upside down mm-hmm. and back r- right up? Like, uh, I mean, explain that to me. So it's an emergency feature. Um, <laughs> it's for emergencies only. We don't practice it. We don't train it. Um, I have been, you know, unfortunate enough, but also fortunate enough to have experienced that. Um, I've also watched another boat next to me going through that operation and it's purely because, as, as you know, as well as I do, you can't predict every wave. And any person who thinks they understand waves is just wrong. You know, I, I definitely- Especially when you talk about wind. Wind swells. I think current. I think it's different when you're talking about a more of a, a you know, coming from a, mm-hmm. a directional swell versus you guys are dealing with wind swell, radical current. Um, so wait, tell me about the boat next to you. Oh, so, um, I was a break in, I was learning how to drive. So it's funny you talk, you know, we talked about fear. I never even would have thought to bring this up, but I, I was learning how to drive. Um, and we were training in our most hazardous environment up in the Columbia river. We have different areas that are, we use for training and we were in our more hazardous area. And I looked over and we saw two propellers on the boat Mm -hmm. and it was, basically hydro, it looked like it was sliding into the beach. So any boat will rewrite if it's not stuck in sand or any, you know, 47s will rewrite, but they're 18 feet tall. So, you know, if you're in shallow water, there's always the fear that you could get stuck or, you know, something of that nature. And I was watching them, you know, surf towards the beach upside down. And, and, um, speaking of fabulous instructors, 
the guy that was teaching me that day, mm -hmm. um, we were the boat that responded to him. We always go out in tandem. So yeah. we have the ability to self-rescue. So we responded to him. They came up and that boat is pretty phenomenal. It's designed to be able to do that. It did work. It a little banged up, yeah. you know, some things break. Yeah. Um, water does, water breaks things. And he let me drive all the way back. And um, we got back and we helped everybody out and we got everything cleaned up. And I remember him walking over to me and being like, so do you, do you still want to do this? I mean, that was pretty scary. And, I'm, and I just remember it wasn't that I was ignorant to the danger. It was that the boat came back up and it brought everybody home. Mm -hmm. It might not always do that, but it is capable of doing it. It does what it says it will. Yeah. So I've, I was a little confused by the question because not only will the boat, you know, did the boat prove that it does what it does, Yeah. but I was confused because I got to do something that I realized at that time that I wanted to do. And that was be the person there to help. So I wanted to be the person there to help mm -hmm. and good on him for not taking, cause he was the certified person. He was the qualified person. Right. He could have taken over for me and said, way too big of a deal. It's, you know, I'll drive, yeah. I'll drive. But he let me do it. Had he not, maybe that would have been different because I wouldn't have had control and I wouldn't have been able to act. You know, I just would have been riding along for a little bit of that. Yeah. But that was really, I, I remember thinking like, why would he ask me that? It seems so ridiculous. Why would I not want to be the person capable of rendering assistance to my shipmates? Right. So, um, and that's kind of how I still feel to this day. It's just my role has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, my my job isn't to do that technically on a boat. My job is like you said earlier, you, you actually put it best. My job is to provide the environment for everybody that works for me to do that. When I, I saw where you said that you want to inspire and elevate all the junior officers, not mm -hmm. like men, women, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that a good leader that it, besides we're going to always keep our mind on the objective is trying to create that environment to allow these other people to come up and, and to thrive. So you're married mm -hmm. uh, to Tim. I am. Tim Woody. How long have you been married? Oh my gosh, I don't know the answer to that. I should know the answer to that. Is it like, like five years? Oh, good, good. Four years? And you have two stepsons, is that right? Yes, he has two awesome boys. So goodness. is it, I I know we said earlier, he's, you know, really, like it's that great shorthand because he knows what you go mm -hmm. through. Um, is it, does he, is he, is it sort of interesting that you became um, a commander of a location? Is he like, oh, that's, you go, honey. Like he yeah, never, he, he never had to be like, work underneath you or no 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 did, so we worked together where for about, did you meet we worked together for about eight months in california are you allowed to date when no you not while together? we're working no goodness oh, no. No, no 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 we no, just no. made eyes yeah. just made eyes <laughs> no i wouldn't even say that um honestly at that point in time i was still super driven you know i don't know if i would so you just knew each other yeah so we did work together and honestly he's one of the best bosses and i'm not the only one that'll say that he's yeah. like i'll tell you you ever want to feel a little inferior as a as a wannabe leader, you know, it's, I got the leadership guru, guru you know, yeah. everybody was floored when he, you know, decided to bow out after 20 years because everybody loved working for him. And, you know, yeah. and it's a little bit funny for me sometimes because the only time it backfires on me, you know, I, I can call him and say, Hey, I'll throw out some obscure acronym yeah. and it'll be like, okay, see you in five hours. Or, you know, when I went to Puerto Rico, we hadn't seen each other in like 10 days. And then you know, I high five him and say, Hey, I'm going over to Puerto Rico. And he's like, okay, 
See you in a couple of weeks. You know, it's very, he's very Yeah, well, he knows also what it takes. Exactly. What's he going to do, trip out on you before you're going to go on a pretty difficult situation already? Right, right. So, but where it backfires on me sometimes is when I call him and say, hey, I'm going to be at work late because I did this. And he's like, well, how'd you let that happen? Mm. You know, and I'm like, oh, because I'm not you, you know? And I yeah. just kind of laugh a little bit and I'm like, mm-hmm. because I messed up or, you know, and, yeah. you know, and it's, it's funny because that's the only time it backfires. He's like, well, why'd you let that happen? Or how did that happen? Or why would you allow that? And I'm like, I didn't mean to, you know? And so that's the only time it backfires on me a little bit, but he brings a balance. So it's been an interesting, more interesting, I think for him, you know, everybody kind of does want to talk about being the first female this or second female this. I find it more fascinating watching him break his gender role. Mm. So, you know, it was a 15 minute conversation after a CrossFit workout at 630 in the morning. Um, He has two sons. He was worried about retiring because he's a good father and wanted to make sure that he could provide for his children. Yeah. But either he retired or I got out or we were going to be 2000 miles away. And I waited so long to find a great man. Um, So, oh, back to how we met. So we worked together for a brief time. Mm -hmm. I think he was only out there for like eight months, which was really unusual. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, after I went to officer school and he had gone to the East Coast at that point in time. And then three years later, after I went to officer school, we got stationed in the same area. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to snatch that fish up. Yeah. You know, he's... He's, he's a great catch. So, um, but yeah, it wasn't like three years later is when we started dating and our, you know, had a relationship and, and came back together. But I knew professionally, he was one of the best, you know, best in the business, Yeah, you know, professionally. So that made it even better to be more personally involved with him because I respected him so much as, you know, as a fellow. It's got to happen. Right. I mean, you're not going to be with a person that you don't, if he's loosey goosey out there, you'd be like, I like him, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's usually some people meet personally and they respect people professionally. I met yeah. him professionally and then learn to really enjoy him personally. Absolutely. There's a reason he was such an amazing leader professionally. He's just a good person personally. Yeah. Um, so he had to t- sort of tuck in to sort of support you to do your. Yes. So he, yeah. he was like, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. He's like, you're ceiling. So I had made some decisions. I was enlisted. I mm-hmm. decided to become an officer. And he said, essentially, your ceiling's higher than mine. And it really was a 15 minute conversation. Yeah. Um, But that shows great security. mm -hmm. I mean, I think people don't, we never give enough credit to yielding, Mm -hmm. the real strength in in yielding, whether it's the female or the male. Correct. And um, I think for him to be able to look at you in 20 more years and to know, because that that's where the trust and the love comes in when you're like, no, at a time that maybe even to your inconvenience, you made a choice. He made a choice that he knew would be best for you. Mm -hmm. Um, That shows that, well, that's a real relationship. And he, he made that choice. And I mean, I was asking him to retire in South Florida. (laughs) So I don't know if I was really, you know, I wasn't putting him out too hard. I I wasn't taking him to Alaska or any crazy place, but no, he did. He, uh, but identities and, and things like that, absolutely. we have to wrestle all that to the ground. And I will tell you, and people don't, I don't think people were purposefully realizing how much of that they were putting on him, but mm. everybody was like, so you're just not going to have a job. And that's the best. So what are you doing now? Yeah. Or so you're not going to work, but your wife is working. It oh, was yeah. just all, it was so many comments and so much. Yeah. I found it and I find it more fascinating watching him break social norms mm-hmm. than I ever found it 
about my experiences, you know, as a woman coming up in, you know, this environment. Um, and it was close people. It was, you know, and, and it, it was genuinely interesting. Well, people hang up their own insecurities on other people. Correct. You know, he has no trip on it. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to study. I'm going to do other things and I'm mm-hmm. going to do other things with my life. So if somebody is listening and I, I sort of view you as somebody who is a humble and gracious, uh, you are a leader. And the fact that you didn't know what you could share here today and that you kind of check and recheck yourself all the time. I think these are traits that um, more of us should have. I think that really uh, shows like a dynamic leadership. Mm -hmm. You're not like, okay, well, I work my way here and now now it's fixed. It's a living position. Mm -hmm. Um, If you had somebody who sort of thought, okay, I'm going to, I'd like to bite off something big and maybe I'm scared or it's unknown. um, You know, what would you say to them? Because you've done that. Um, honestly, it seems so cheesy to say, but it's, it's what do you know about it? What do you, break it down. What, what's it going to take? Is it something like a technical skill? Is it something you can break down? Is it something you're physically capable of? I mean, I, I genuinely break things down. Can I physically do this? Can I not physically do this? And, you know, then really examine those reasons. You know, I, I was just talking with one of my members and I'm, you know, my husband and I, for fun, we do ultra marathons or we try we're, I say we are definitely not, I am definitely, he's probably really good at it. He, he's going to be really good at it. But the thing we love about that is you think that you can't do something and the older we get, the more we're doing. Mm. And so I see, and the only thing I see in my junior members is them limiting themselves, but without reason. So I see them limit themselves and I'm like, why are you guys putting these limitations on yourselves? Why are you why are you holding yourself back? Who told you this? Or what makes you think that you can or can't do this? Mm. And just really force them to look inward and say, you know, and then also, what are you going to sacrifice about yourself? You know, if you're in the military, you definitely, we don't have the same civil liberties as everybody else. Right. Um, but in the best way possible, we're, we're compensated for that. Um, right. And so it's, it's what do you value? Um, by the time I meet people, they're 19, 20 years old, and they've brought morals and values to the table. They've learned them from somewhere. So what do you value? And knowing that it's not right or wrong if you don't align your values or morals with somebody else that you're looking at. Right. Because I've had people that I really wanted to be. And then I realized I could never really be that person because I'm just, I don't align with the morals and values of that person, or I'm not technically capable of it. Right. You know, so you just have to be comfortable in your own skin. And that's when I go back to, you know, those few times I had to go cry in my closet or, you know, those few times where you had that, you know, that self doubt, or you made those big mistakes, um, those opportunities to learn from that and learn to be uncomfortable somewhat with failure yeah, and learn to be uncomfortable with just your insecurities. That's a big thing. Um, for me. And that's what I would really try to, you know, if people want to come and talk to me and I have lots of talk with lots of people, it's, you know, don't take the myth away. I feel like, you know, when people, I was talking to my husband about this, when people talk about leadership, I get, sometimes I get frustrated about leadership books because those same situations are never recreated twice. But also I find it messy. I find it, I find it insecure. I find it flawed. Hmm. Um, I feel like you're always, 
you know, adaptability and flexibility are middle names, yeah. both of them, yeah. you know, not only the ability to change, but having the willingness to do so and being able to put your own stuff aside and prioritize other people. Yeah. And so we, we go back and forth on whether or not, cause I feel like I'm a great manager and not a great leader. And he's like, no, there's no difference. And we argue about leadership versus management all the time. Well, um, I, I always say that Laird, um, you know, he doesn't, he, he loves women. Like he, appreciates respects he had a mm -hmm. very strong and smart mother but i haven't seen laird um we we have a joke that he really uh responded to you when he went up there and uh, the girls and i my, our daughters were like oh wait we there's might be this one single female that laird uh is <laughs> is going to be friends with so i just want to say i really appreciate your time because i know you're yeah, here for absolutely. such a short time and uh I'm, I'm going to call you Lieutenant because you deserve that and more. Um, Jessica Schaefer, thank you for your time. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. Thank you. And I really appreciate the honesty of not of feeling unsure because that for me is the most powerful place to work from. Because if we're honest with ourselves and we're paying attention, I think most of us are, you know, doing the best that we can. Mm -hmm. Unsure. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And if you can recognize that and yeah. then pursue knowing more. I think that's how we get better. I, I mean, that's what I'm doing. So I hope it works. Uh, time will tell again. <laughs> it's working. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Are you kidding? Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind-the-scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.